everybody. Setting everybody up so I can see your faces. Okay, welcome. I hope you're all doing well. <clears throat> Today we will be um, continuing our discussion of the Chatur Shloki, or the four nutshell verses of the Srimad Bhagavad Gita where the theology of the Gita is found. Um, the Krishna began the Gita with empowering descriptions of the jivas. He mentioned that we are amazing and immutable and undying, and that we are different from the objective world, that we are not a thing. And he spoke briefly about his power. And in the first of the Chatushlokis, Krishna described how he is the source of all power, that he is the source of everything, and that everything emanates from him. It's not just that Krishna is the most beautiful, or the most renounced, or the most knowledgeable, or wealthy, or famous. Like, if there was a, a beauty contest, and everybody in all of creation participated that Krishna would win because he was the most beautiful. He actually is all the beauty that there is. He is all the renunciation and all the knowledge. Whatever power can be found, it springs from him. And it is just whatever wonderful and amazing and beautiful, powerful things we, we can experience are simply a spark of his splendor. So he would win the beauty contest anyway, but in a very comprehensive way. So we also talked last time about 
um, the purpose of his speaking about his power, about his divinity, and that the purpose was to actually foster love in intimacy, to give um, sweetness to his apparent ordinary activities. And Krishna also brought out um, wise love, Buddha Bhava Samanvita, not just ignorant kind of love, but a wise love. And that there are a couple of things that have to be in place for love to actually be wise. One, it um, the motive for loving needs to be unalloyed. So there's there's nothing else. There's we're not loving for something else like some kind of business arrangement. I will love you if whatever, fill in the blank. It's not for things. It's not even for mukti or liberation. It is simply loving for its own sake. So that's one of the things that needs to be there in order to have wise love. The other aspect is that love needs to be properly situated that and there there is a position where someone could say give me all your love and don't give it anywhere else now if you don't know this person who says it um it's kind it sounds kind of boastful and we could be skeptical about it but if you you do your homework and you have some kind of you've developed some kind of proof that what this person says is true like if you want to invest your money and you're going to go um, you're looking for an investment firm the broker will well give me all your money and i'll invest it and it will work for you. So that's an idea. It's, it's, it's a smart idea. But what you have to be smart about is that the person who is taking, who you're actually going to give everything to, is worthy of all of that love. Um, so because as we have experienced, there are cheaters and there is false advertisement. So the person who is in a real position to say that, to say, give me all your love and it will be the best thing for you, is the person who will not cheat because the person who, by accepting that love that we give, is capable of transforming it so that it goes everywhere. So there's the well-known and famous example of the stomach. I mean, we use this example because it's quite good. Um, if you want to feed the body, you can't feed the body just by you know grabbing an apple and squeezing. It's just not going to work. You will feed the body by, by giving everything to the stomach. The stomach is the part that can digest it in such a way that it is can be integrated into the, all the different parts. 
So the stomach is capable of transforming what we give it so that the entire body is nourished. So one who can do that has the right to say, give me everything. So this is, is Krishna. And if our love is not properly centered, centered on someone who, who is capable of doing this, then it is, it's a recipe for frustration. The object of our love um, could be transformed or even disappear. You know, they could pack their bags, they could die. Our prince could turn into a couch potato. Um, you know, we could hear people saying, you're not the person I married. So it, when our sense of self is derived from our attachment to things, it, you know, I like this thing and I don't like that thing, then this is going to sound really harsh, but it's true. We're basically like a thing. When we define ourselves with things by drawing lines of demarcations that mark, this is me and this is not me. I like this car. I don't like that car. I like to do this, I don't like to do that. Then we are defining ourselves by things. And, you know, if we're, if we're shopping, like, of course there's, there's way too much variety. It just drives you nuts. But when you're shopping for things, how we tend to whittle it down is like, oh, well, no, that's not for me. You know, that, that's not, pink is not me. I'm, I'm not a pink person. And um, I also thought too, like midlife crisis, that is when the idea of ourselves, who we are, the idea of ourselves changes. So a lot of times when people go through midlife crises, they need to buy all kinds of different things. Like they used to drive a four, a four door sedan, but now they have to go and buy a sports car because they have to prop up the image of who they want to be, who they know they are no longer, but that's why it's a crisis. <clears throat> so my happies and my sads and my goods and my bads, these are all relative to, to the things that we are drawn to. So if our sense of self and our sense of others as well, is such that they are centered on just things, then basically we are. And we just need to think about that, that for a moment. If we act as a thing because we are um, being defined in relationship to things and we relate to other people who define themselves in relationship to things, then again, we're basically things. And we have given ourselves over to matter by the way of this identification. What we think the Atma is or what, we, or what the Atma thinks it is, is actually just a passing affair. 
And we can see this in, in divorces. You know, relationships are based on an idea created from things that change. We change, we weren't the person we were. They change, they're no longer the person they were or thought they were or said they were. So when we hear these things, though, we could kind of panic because we think the very thing I want is, is what, I'm, what I have to give up. And it, it doesn't sit well with us. If I'm loving things and things are loving me, then I have to give up loved ones and there's no love to be found. But you know, but that's what I want. I want to love and I want to be loved. So I'm just doomed living in this material world. And I, that's it, Krishna. Yeah, I'm throwing down my bow and my quiver. But dear friends, we don't need to despair because that is not our process. That's the Gani who renounces the world, knowing that it's things that are the, the source of his suffering. So he thinks, because things are the source of my suffering, I am going to give up those things that are not enduring, and then I'll be peaceful. And there is happiness that comes in that. There's some Ananda, <clears throat> but the extent of that Ananda, Ananda is relief. It is the happiness derived by a person who stops hitting their head against the wall. Yes, it feels good because I'm no longer experiencing the pain of hitting my head against the wall. Now I can be peaceful, but it is not happiness in a positive sense. <clears throat> the Bhakti Marg does not recommend being alone. We are meant to be with others. And why are we meant to be with others? Krishna is with others. He is nothing without his others. So because we are made in his image, we are a part of him, he is our source. We also are meant to be with others and to have a Sangha. So that's Bodhayanta, that's the verse that we'll be discussing today. It's enlightening each other, prosperum each other. Krishna says, this is like, my devotees, they're not alone off living in a cave somewhere. They're in Sangha, living with each other. And there is a way that we can love deeply in this world, meaningfully, so that it's not just a mere attachment to ideas of each other. If we love one another in context of our spiritual culture in ways that foster our spiritual life, then that can be very beautiful. <clears throat> when both partners have this figured out, it does take two. When both partners have this figured out that there's something that's more important to me than you and to you than me. And neither one of us is jealous of that fact. It's okay with us that there's 
that you have someone that's more important to you because that same person is the person that's more important to us. So there is a qualified center that we both share. And by helping each other move toward that center, closer to the fire, then we will find nourishment and satisfaction there. Gurmaraj has described about, you know, you have the peaceful pond and it's very lovely, but then you, you throw a stone in and then you have ripples and that's, that's nice. And if people, if there are other people are just throwing their stones in haphazardly with their own centers, the ripples crisscross, make splash noise, not so nice anymore. But the, if we all throw our stones into the same center, then the concentric circles will just be stronger and will reach further and further and further out. So the possibilities for love that we are trying to pursue now, those that are bound by the idea that we have of ourselves and that we have of others, these possibilities exist in the world of consciousness. We are pursuing romantic love and friendly love and parental love. But as we know, there are problems with it because we are looking for love in all the wrong places. So what do we do? Do we decide that it's all nonsense? That I should just sit still and give up on love that I, I shouldn't even try? No, that is when we bring Krishna into the picture, then all the possibilities of love that we have dreamt about, that we have pursued in misdirected ways since time immemorial, they can actually be fully experienced. And this is the consciousness world. By focusing our capacity on the appropriate center, different types of love, the friendly, parental, and romantic love, they will arise from the center like those ripples. And the appropriate center is the one who can take and reciprocate fully. This is um, experienced by the devotees when Krishna and Balaram entered the wrestling arena. This is a common example for how Krishna actually does reciprocate. There are different devotees with different types of love for him. They each one saw him in a different form. Some saw him as their child and some as their friend and some as their lover and some as death personified. As they gave to him, he reciprocated. So this is a worthy center. He has the ability to take all the love that we could possibly give him in a way that is satisfying to us and everyone else. So how do we do that? How do we give to the center 
How do we actually do that as sadhikas? So, um, excuse me. We have been given a, a different kind of body. We've been given a sadhika deha by our, by our guru, by the mercy of the guru. And it's not an ordinary, it's different than an ordinary body. And how is it different is that an ordinary body consists of senses, but they are attached to things. And the more the practitioner lives in our sadhika deha, the more our senses, they don't even touch material things. And it's not that we have to be on such a platform where we're totally detached from things. No, it's, it's that our senses are no longer used for the purpose uh, to, um, to foster our material sense of self. We use the senses to serve in such a way that we can develop a, a serving and a devotional ego. We don't deny the senses or repress them, thank God. Um, but we change the object of our senses, the, the, the thing that our, our senses are focused on. When we um, look at a flower in the garden that's blooming, we will think, oh, let me give that to my friend or let me give that to my lover or whatever. So they're the same things. We could be saying the same words and even doing the same actions, but the object of those actions, the object of the thoughts are different. It's, it's Krishna. Krishna becomes the object of our love. So I'll tell you a little pastime that I had of my own. Um, in earlier in my, when I first met the devotees, I was a little, I was a lot more innocent. And um, so I was staying with some devotees and kind of a long story, but anyway, somebody sent me flowers and I thought, oh my gosh, these flowers are so beautiful. They're perfect. They would look so great on the altar. I like, I just immediately put it on the altar. And then a couple of days later, the guy asked, so did you get your flowers? And I said, yes, they were so nice. Thanks so much. They look so wonderful on the altar. And he's like, uh, no, they weren't for the altar. They were for you. But it's like, I didn't, that thought didn't even come into my head. You know, like I said, in the beginning, I was innocent and now I'm all, I don't know, can't really say I was pure then, but I was more, more innocent and focused on Krishna. I don't know what I would do now. Now I'm like, oh, thank you, honey. But, um, but that I had that experience that I can draw on. I know what that, what that feels like. I didn't have any, um, it never even dawned on me that they were for me. So in this same way, when we can see things and, and just automatically think that, yes, this is meant to serve Krishna. This is meant to please him. This is meant to please my guru. Then 
every then everything will become perfect. And this is what this is what they're they are here for. Um, you know, the microphone can be used to sing rock, or the microphone can be used to speak kata, and it's the same mic, but it's used properly. So Krishna becomes the object of our love. And our spiritual practice um, starts to permeate our entire life. So we will see Krishna everywhere. It's, and this doesn't really mean like you look at a tree and you see Krishna peeking out from behind the tree or, you know, Krishna's sitting on the branches or Krishna's, you know, you look in a, a pool of water and you see Krishna's face. It's, it's more that um, we see that these are his energies and therefore it re, they, everything reminds us of him. Like if you have a, a child and they've gone away to, um, on vacation or they've gone to college and you come home from work and you see their shoes outside the door and you immediately think of, of your child and the love that, that comes up. It's not that you're, you're seeing your child there instead of the shoes, you're still seeing the shoes, but because you know that those shoes belong to your child, then you're, you think of your child. So in this way, we, we see everything that we see here, we can think, oh my gosh, this is Krishna's. These are coming from him. And we, then we can automatically, um, just naturally think of him. And the more we think of him, then the more we want to associate with people who have the same interest. This is just natural. And we experience this in ordinary. There's even the saying, birds of a feather flock together. There's, and there's a lot of reasons for that. There's strength in flocks. Like um, it's easy to break one stick, but if you have a bundle of sticks, it's definitely much harder. So there is that aspect of, of Sangha. It, also, but the super important aspect of, of Sangha is that as we associate with sadhus, then the nature of our sadhana transforms from a theoretical thing into a living and dynamic practice. That our practice is not just about sitting it's about how we move in the world how we walk in the world and in bhakti we we walk together and as we walk together one will see something and that causes a philosophical thought and the other one will say yes you know i was just reading in the bhagavad gita blah 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 blah, blah. and on it goes they run off into you know kata just by going for a walk. So Krishna explains that my devotees are always together, mutually enlightening one another by hearing, chanting, and meditating on me. That's today's verse. 
whoops, which I never clicked on the slide. There we go. Machita madgata prana bodhayanta parasparam katayantas chamam nityam tushanticha ramanticha. Those whose minds are fixed on me, whose lives are absorbed in me, derive satisfaction and delight from enlightening one another and always speaking of me. So in this verse, the primary limbs of the body of Rag Bhakti are singled out. Machita here refers to smaranam or meditation. Bodhayantas parasparam refers to shravanam and katayantas like kata refers to kirtanam. So we have the three main limbs of bhakti described here, shravanam, kirtanam, and smarnam, hearing, chanting, and meditation. A lot of times this um, smarnam is translated as remembering. But Guru Maharaj is very persistent in the way he describes or trans describes shravanam, I'm not shravanam, smarnam, that it is a meditation. Um, it's, it's more than just a, a remembering a kind of intellectual exercise. When I was in another sangha, we would have like on John Mastami or other festivals, we'd have a Krishna bowl. And in a Krishna bowl, there would be a competition as to who can remember um, all these minute details about Krishna Leela or about Krishna. And the person who could remember the most, you know, wins the Golubjaman. But it's, it's, this is not really Smarnam. Um, it is beyond, beyond the intellect. It, in the verse Chitta, uh, Chitta, in the verse, um, Krishna speaks of the Chitta, because that's what this involves, Machitta. It's the internal, subtle, or the psychic matter. And the psychic matter, it's actually a it's fourfold. It's a fourfold internal faculty. And there's, it consists of the Chitta, the buddhi, the manas, and the hankar. And these correspond to awareness, understanding, desire, and identification. And it kind of works like this. You hear a sound like a bark. You become aware of it. And it, it crosses, it, it comes across the chitta like a wave. So that is awareness. That's the chitta. Then you understand the sound, which is booty. Oh, the sound is the barking of a dog. And the mind, manas, decides if you like the bark or not. And based on the liking or not liking of that barking, your identity is formed. Um, I like barking dogs. I am a barking dog liker. That's me. This is the ahankar. 
So in this verse, the chitta is mentioned, machita, Krishna explains that for his devotees, their chitta becomes taken over by bhakti and the chitta becomes me, him. So right now, currently, um, our chitta is taken over by so many non-devotional impressions or vrittis or waves. And we, we kind of even talk about this in normal life. We say, we talk about our childhood impressions and how they affect us as adults. Or we say, oh, I wasn't very impressed by him. What do these things mean? You know, when we say, I'm not impressed by him, I can practically get the, the image of somebody, you know, like pushing down and impressing on, on my mind, making an actual impression. We use these words and it's, it's through these impressions that our identity is formed with matter. And the, the crisscrossing of them now, because we have so many different centers and the ripples, they're so crisscrossed and jumbled up, we can't find the, the source of them. We can't sort through them. So what do we do? Um, do we dismantle the chitta? Do we renounce it? Do we ignore it? No, we, we actually can't do any of those things. But that's not even what Krishna says to do. Bhakti is very user-friendly and it has the same process for every challenge. We bhakti-ize it. We spiritualize it. We don't deny it. We don't renounce it. We engage it. So there's also the famous example of an iron rod, right? We have probably heard this a million times, but it is just too good to not use. You touch somebody with a cold iron rod and you tell them this is iron, this is what it feels like. And they'll say, yes, you just touch me with iron. Then you put that iron rod in a fire and you wait till it gets really hot, red hot. And if that person is touched with that same iron rod, they won't be experiencing a metal rod. They will be experiencing fire. Although it's the same rod, it's been fireized. So in the same way, we can spiritualize everything that we think, everything that we do, and everything that we say by connecting it to Krishna. The chitta is like a, a mirror and the mirror reflects where it's pointed, right? You shine your mirror one place, reflects that image. You shine it somewhere else, it reflect a different image. So now our mirror is full of unuseful impressions and it's reflecting on material nature. So there's kind of two things that need to happen. One is to cleanse the mirror, and the other is to change the angle of vision. So 
we have heard from Lord Chaitanya how to actually cleanse this mirror, Chaito Darpana Marginam. It is through Kirtan that we cleanse the mirror of the heart. And how do we change the angle of the mirror so that it reflects on bhakti? That happens by association. That is how we will get bhakti impressions or sangskaras. The chanting, the kirtan that cleanses the mirror of the chitta in context of turning that mirror on Krishna. We don't do it separately. Oh, I'm going to get out, you know, the window cleaner and I'm going to clean my mirror. Um, I'm going to practice some kind of vow or vrata or, or something that focuses on clearing the chitta. No, the chitta becomes cleared by engaging it in chanting. And this is how bhakti works in, in everything by pouring everything on Krishna. We don't have to worry about our lackings. Yes, our mirror is dirty and there's reasons for it. We've been here since time immemorial. We've really had a lot of time to kick up a bunch of dirt. So it, we shouldn't be surprised that we are lacking in areas. That is going to be there. And we don't have to focus on getting rid of the unwanted things. The unwanted things will leave naturally. Um, it's, I heard Gurmaraj use this example, and I, I really like it. If you have a bottle of ink, how do you purify a bottle of ink, right? We, right now we are vessels. I, I am a tugboat. I am that boat stuck in the Suez Canal full of ink. So how do we um, get rid of the ink? You add milk, of course. And if you keep adding milk, you know, if you add a little milk, not so much. Keep adding milk. Don't worry about the ink. If you keep adding the milk, the ink is going to go away. And that is how we purify ourselves. We don't focus on the ink and think of, oh, what chemicals can I add to it? You know, do I have to add little um, germs that will eat the ink? And no, 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 no. Just keep pouring in the ink, in the milk. Keep adding Krishna to everything we do. And all of our material hangups and lackings will, will go away. So the ink, what is the milk? The milk is devotee association. When we associate with advanced devotees, we are getting impressions that we don't even know about. Um, so this is, this is the key because we develop, by devotee association, we develop shraddha and, and our, our faith. And faith isn't just a belief, it's an experience. 
And if we don't have the ex direct experience ourselves, we can have the experience of someone who has had the experience and the ripple effect, right? We are, we are one ring out, two ring out, three rings out from where they have thrown their stone in the center. And Krishna says that we are our faith, that it is faith that moves us. And when we have faith through sadhusanga, we start to get um, Krishna vrittis or bhakti vrittis instead of material vrittis. And we start to think, I have no interest in anything else. This is, this is Krishna bhakti, and this is what I want to do. Or we might not even be there yet. You know, I have interests in other things, but that's, that's too bad. Tough. I don't care that I have interest in other things because this is what I really want to do. And we, we have to drill down to the point of, of honesty, to the point of where we actually feel what we're saying. And like, um, if you press the, an oil from an herb, you know, we have to squeeze down on ourselves. If we, we can't, do we really want, you know, love Krishna? Oh, I love you, Krishna. Or do I want to love you? Or do I want to want to want you? You know, we have to get to the point where we actually do want that, that thing um, to some level where we have emotion for it, a desire for it, a feeling for it, because it's the feeling that will call our, even if it's light years away, we have to come to the point of what is it that I want? I, you know, there was, I was speaking with somebody and they're saying, oh, you know, I, I am, I have this job now, but I really, and I don't have much time for sadhana, but I, I really, I wish I did. So, well, for one person, one person might be saying, I want to, you know, increase my sadhana and I'm going to do it because this is what I want. But we might not actually have the, the, the freedom to do that. But if we can hang on to the, to the actually what we can feel in such a way that moves us, I want to want to increase my sadhana. So then when the opportunity arises, we are ready to, to jump on it. And Krishna will, will make those arrangements for us so that we can actually move um, closer to him. So faith is knowing that our best interest and our highest self lies here that I'm going to derive genuine satisfaction, Tushanti, which is in this verse, and happiness, Ramanti, which is in this verse. Now, I'm going to get those here in my practices of bhakti. There may be other things that I'm busy with, 
and whatnot, but I have the confidence that in doing sadhana bhakti, in association with advanced devotees, that my life, it will become perfect. And that, will, that culmination is machita, which is, means that Krishna's devotees are consumed in him, that there is nothing else on their mind other than him, and that the ink is all milk. And milk, as we know, is affection. So this is what drives their hearing, chanting, and, and meditation. It's, a, it's um, an intensity. And it is, Krishna describes that it is matkata prana. I am, for these devotees on this path, I am their very breath. Uh, prana means breath or life air. But I was thinking too, it's interesting that Shravanam and Kirtanam actually involve air, right? Involves air to speak, involves air to hear. So it is our breath. It is our breath. This is their breath. They, their life breath is this hearing and chanting. And just like we depend on breathing to live, and we don't do it with a calculation, we don't think, okay, I need to breathe in 30 liters of air today. And, you know, we measure our breaths and this and that. We don't do a calculation. We just actually do it. So these Ragmark Bhaktas, they, they just do it. This hearing and chanting and meditating, just like we breathe, they engage these things. And we hear of people who act calculation and we the stories that are told about them they're they are heroic you know the person who runs into a burning building to save a child or someone um who accosts a bank robber you know and if if a reporter is interviewing them they say well what were you thinking when you did this the answer is i i wasn't thinking i just did it. So it's, it's very similar, similar to that. And it's, it's, it's different, however, than um, there's that saying fools rush in where angels fear to tread. It's not that um, Krishna's devotees are fools because the calculating, calculating is actually what we're doing now. We are calculating. And we are figuring out that, yes, Krishna is the center that deserves me to give my love fully and only. So there will come a point when we live without doubt and on faith alone. There's one thing I want to say about fear, though, and it's... Um, Fear is actually the driving force in the Vaidimarg. And it, it has a place in, in bhakti. And Srila Prabhupada um, would kind of use, use it as an instrument. He, would, he often would speak about re, the pains of repeated birth and death as a motivating factor 
Um, and it wasn't like out of meanness or he didn't know that there was um, love beyond fear. It's, it's that he knew that the, the goal is to engage in the practice. And if it takes fear to motivate us to do that, then fear is our friend. But we, but both the carrot and the stick. Um, moving to get this and moving to avoid that. Those external forces or motivators will, will subside as we develop our own internal motivation. Um, so Krishna's unalloyed devotees are only motivated by their, by their internal forces. Um, and the living and breathing only to hear and chant and remember Krishna. Um, Rupa Goswami describes this as loba, and Jiva Goswami describes it as ruchi. So loba means greed, and ruchi is taste. So when the eagerness, when this drive uh, reaches the pitch of greed, that fuels our hearing and chanting and meditation. That is um, desirable. And as we know, and as we can, can think, this isn't something that's accomplished overnight. So what do we do until then? And until then we hitch, we can hitch our wagon to a star and keep ourselves in good association of someone who has taste. And we can be greedy if we're not greedy for, for the ultimate, we can be greedy for this association that will lead to higher, to higher greed and let that association and our greed to associate with them rule our actions. So Grimaraj gives a very nice summary of this process. I'll read this one paragraph. Through the practice of bhakti, the heart is being cleansed, cleansed from the context of cultivating another picture. At some point, it turns from bhakti and practice to bhakti and ecstasy. And the theological, theoretical person, Krishna, becomes a real person and we become a real person also. As much as we are a thing, so to speak, and start to move away from that, our real personhood starts to come out in relationship to Krishna. And then we start to become a participant in that Leela. So Krishna says that their minds are completely taken over by me. They can't think of anything else. They're only moving for his purpose. They're talking about him, chanting about him, and this is, this is what they do. You see all the pictures here of Guruaj and the devotees, and they're so beautiful. Um, everyone is, is absorbed, and Guruaj is giving so much of his heart. 
So let's continue to encourage each other to make changes in our lives so that we can take up such a beautiful process, such a beautiful opportunity. Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's dispensation of the Ragmarg. So that's all I have for you today. And today I will ask for corrections and comments. Um, I'm not sure if I have to do something to make that happen. I don't think so. <laughs> so are there any, any? Oh, yeah, I can oh, hear, yeah, I can hear someone. I wanted to say that was a fabulous class and I really appreciate you getting it for our benefit. Yeah, that was really powerful. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Not easy Thank you. to do. Thank you. Anybody else? All right. See you tomorrow on Guru Marja's call. Bye. Haribo. Haribo.